All right, guys. Hey, welcome back to you all uh, to the Clear Thinking Podcast. I'm glad to have you along. We are still in our long series on deconstruction and our mini series on sort of understanding human sexuality and how we got to uh, the day and age in which we find ourselves where uh, human sexuality is something that is uh, created by the self as opposed to discovered by the self as part of the givenness of of the world in which we live. And, you know, I promised uh, at the end of uh, the last episode, I promised that I was going to offer a Christian response to the transgender issue in this episode. Last time we we sort of uh, addressed uh, the transgender issue in trying to understand where it came from and uh, what it is, what the definitions are, etc. cetera. Uh, and today we're going to start kind of responding to this phenomenon that we find ourselves encountering in our culture today. So the first thing I want to do, though, is is I want to explain uh, one more time where this phenomenon comes from. Uh, here's the question that sexu- secularists always ask Christians. They say, you know, why do you care whether someone wants to be transgender or not? Like, what's it to you? They would say the same thing when it comes to uh, same-sex relationships, homosexuality. They'd say, why do Christians care whether someone is in a gay relationship or not, whether they're gay or straight? What do they, what do they care about that? Uh, and who do they, why do they care who people decide to marry? That's an individual private choice, and it doesn't affect anybody else. And Christians are always getting up in everybody else's business trying to tell them what to do and how to live. And why, why is that? Now, these questions, they are rooted in an assumption that we should be free to live as we see fit, just as long as it doesn't harm anyone. And on the surface, that kind of seems right, doesn't it? I mean, live and let live, man. Isn't that the way we should behave ourselves? That's a powerful argument, I think. And and I think it is because it, it actually resonates with our core moral intuitions. Uh, one philosopher put it this way, most of us believe a few simple propositions that seem so clear and self-evident that they scarcely need to be said. Here they are. Choice is a good thing in life, and the more we have of it, the happier we are. Authority is inherently suspect. Nobody should have the right to tell others what to think or how to behave. And that's a pretty good summary of how a lot of people think today. Charles P- Taylor, I've, I've introduced you to him before. He puts it this way. He says, let each person do their own thing and one shouldn't criticize the other's values because they have a right to live their own life just as you do. The only sin which is not tolerated is intolerance. That's what how Charles Taylor sort of uh, describes the age in which we live. And, you know, there's a great film example of this principle. Uh, I'm kind of dating myself. I mean, my memory of films goes back a long way. And I seem to remember films from my youth better than I remember movies that I watched in my adulthood. (laughs) But anyhow, uh, there's this movie called Pleasantville. You ever see that movie? It's it's actually quite an interesting movie. It's, It's about two 90s era teenagers 
who love this 50s sitcom. They love watching this 1950s black and white sitcom. And they actually, they get stuck somehow magically. They get stuck in this sitcom and they become part of it. Now, of course, these 90s teens, these modern kids, they look at life a bit different than the 50s folks do. And so what do they do? They start breaking the rules. They start questioning the status quo and pushing the envelope. And over time, as the movie unfolds, the, the people from the 50s in the sitcom, they start to do the same. You know, they cross boundaries and they start to assert their autonomy, their freedom. And as they do, little splashes of color enter their lives. So little splashes of color go on the screen because the film is mostly in black and white. But by the end of the movie, the whole show, the whole movie is in color. And here's the message, right? Freedom, that's what gives life color. And so for many people today, whether they are Christian or not, that seems about right. Leave people to be who they want to be. As long as they're not bothering anybody else, who cares? And I hope, uh, if you remember past episodes, um, I hope that uh, uh, you can see the underlying philosophical assumption here. You know, the assumption is there is no God, there is no cosmic order, there is no essential human nature, and there are no truths or moral absolutes that we must kneel to. And when that's the belief, then of course it makes sense that we should just let people decide how they want to live their lives and do with their bodies as they want. I mean, it's their body, right? See, today our society holds to a new unqualified belief in freedom because there are no moral truths or obligations that exist independent of our minds and feelings and therefore put limits on our freedom. And this kind of freedom has become our highest good as a culture. And you know what that means, by the way. The main role of every institution in society then is to guarantee or protect that kind of freedom. So for example, if a young girl wants to take puberty blockers and hormone therapy to begin their transition to being a boy, then the medical community is obligated to assist them because you can't impinge on their freedom, you see. Now, what makes this so complicated is that there's some truth in the idea that freedom is the highest good. The ideal of individual freedom in Western society has done tremendous good. For example, it has led to a far more fair and just society for minorities and women. And so it's easy to think that this is entirely a good thing. Just look at all the good it's done, right? So a Christian response to transgenderism has to start by dealing with the secular view of freedom. And so I want to give you just a few ways that we can address this. Try to show you how this understanding of freedom is it's frankly, it's unworkable, it's unfair, it's an illusion, it's, it's really impossible. And a great resource for this, by the way, is a book by Tim Keller called Making Sense of God. I got a fair amount of my info from there and a couple of other places. It's a great book. Pick it up, read it. Um, anyhow, the first thing is the fact that this version of freedom is unworkable. The idea that you can do whatever you want with no constraints is a fantasy, it is impossible. The truth is the things we want are sometimes in conflict with one another. Look, 
I want to eat a lot of greasy food. I love steak and chicken wings and ribs and burgers and stuff like that. But I also want to avoid high cholesterol and the health problems that go along with it. And so I'm stuck. I can't eat any way I want and still have good health. I mean, not anymore. Maybe when I was 20 (laughs) and it didn't really matter what I ate. But now I have to limit my freedom somehow. See, at the level of day-to-day living our lives, there isn't just one thing called freedom that we either have or do not have. Since we have to sacrifice some freedoms in order to enjoy other freedoms, the question to ask is, which freedoms are most important? Which freedoms are truly liberating? Now, someone might say, yeah, sure. Um, But the point is that I'm making the choice. Okay, I have to choose between various freedoms, but I'm free to choose which freedoms to enjoy. But that's actually too simplistic, you know. Uh, In all honesty, it really is. The truth is, you actually don't choose most of the necessary limitations on your life. You don't. Most of the time, you're just recognizing limitations that exist in the world and then choosing whether to submit to them or not. So, for example, if I eat greasy food, I won't be healthy. The limitation on my diet isn't something I just made up, okay? It's part of the fabric of reality. It's just there. We have bodies that are designed a certain way. They're designed to work a certain way. When you eat right and you exercise right, you gain the freedom to live in ways you couldn't otherwise. In other words, there is a givenness to reality. That's a term from Marilyn Robinson. And that givenness exists whether you believe reality is created by God or not. It just cannot be escaped. Reality is not infinitely malleable, okay? It imposes itself on us. And freedom comes only by living into that givenness of reality. That's what the Bible teaches. True freedom, biblical freedom, is learning to align yourself with the created order. Because scripture teaches in Genesis 1 that God created the world, yes. But what does it say over and over and over and over and over again? It says that God created the the world good. Everything he made was good. The transgender movement tries to argue that we should be free to force our physical selves, our biological selves, or our natural selves to submit to our inner created identity. In other words, it it actually argues that the created order isn't necessarily good. But you know what? We have evidence to the opposite all around us. Think about the, the environmental movement. The environmental movement has shown us that it just does not work, okay, to try to uh, submit the environment to what we want. You can't just do whatever you want with the environment just because you want to. We've done that in the past, and it has not worked out very well. You have to work with the natural order that is there. Otherwise, you end up with disaster, And in the same way, we should respect our biological nature. We should respect nature, and we should respect 
our nature. And we're going to talk more about that. What is our nature? What is our identity, etc. next time. Now, here's another problem with the modern concept of freedom. As good as it sounds, it is actually unjust. It's unfair because it denies what we owe others. The fact is we are dependent on others. As children, we depend on our parents for nearly everything. As we get older, we gain more autonomy, but we're still interdependent, obviously. And what happens when you become very old or infirm? You depend on others once again. Each of us is a product of a community, family, maybe extended family, friends, church, if you go to church, uh, other groups that you're a part of. And these are all people who have invested massive amounts of time and love into us. And so we belong to each other. The modern notion of freedom is corrosive to community. It undermines our belongedness, if I can put it that way. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, uh, who you might hear a little bit more of uh, in a couple, uh, couple of episodes further on, maybe even in the next one. Anyhow, he's, a, he's quite a, an interesting character. Uh, he's a professor at Columbia University. I think he's still there. And uh, he's written a number of really interesting books, one called The Righteous Mind. And listen to what he, he writes. He says, an ideology of extreme personal freedom can be dangerous because it encourages people to leave homes, jobs, cities, and marriages in search of personal and professional fulfillment, thereby breaking the relationships that were probably their best hope at such fulfillment, end quote. And this guy's not a Christian, okay? He's a secular atheist. Listen, study after study after study has shown that much of the health of a society depends on, wait for it, voluntary, unselfish behavior. Everyone knows that children do better in a two-parent home. And yet, so often, and I've heard this from people from their own lips, they leave marriages because they say it would be better for the kids if we weren't together. And the truth is, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be better for the kids if they weren't together. Now, the response to that is, this is what I've also heard because I've said this to people, but what about all the fighting? And there's the rub, okay? See, what they mean by that is, look, I'm not going to do the work of changing to make this marriage better. And neither is my spouse. And so we'll be stuck fighting all the time. And that just can't be good for the kids. But that's not the only option. Both parties could commit to voluntary, unselfish behavior, to limiting their freedom for the sake of each other and their children. And that's hard, for sure. Totally. I'm not minimizing that at all. But again, study after study shows that it is better for the kids. And, by the way... Studies have also shown that couples that commit to that work rather than divorce, so they choose to stay together and commit to the work of developing voluntary unselfish behavior, they end up far happier five years later than those that choose to leave their marriage. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone has to stay in their marriage under all circumstances. Of course, there are times 
when a spouse should leave a marriage. Obviously, in, in cases of abuse and serial infidelity and things like that, there are reasons, even the Bible allows for reasons for people to end their marriage. I'm just using what has become no-fault divorce, the concept of no-fault divorce that just allows two people for any reason to end their marriage, which is the the most common way people leave their marriages today. I'm just saying that it's an illustration of how this modern notion of choosing your your own path as being the height of self-actualization is actually damaging as opposed to uh, good for community. But look, 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 the very idea of love requires limiting your freedom. We all know that. When you're in love, you can't just do what you want. You can't. You're, in, you're now accountable to another, right? And yet, here's the irony, there's really no greater feeling of freedom than to love well and to be loved well. Love is liberating. You're, you're free from fear. You're free from self-doubt. You're free from having to face the world alone. It's liberating, but it's limiting. Ask any married person if they can go out for wings at the pub anytime they like. Okay. And, and even more, what's more, get this. If it's a healthy love relationship, you actually find tremendous freedom and joy in doing things for the sake of the other. Unve like voluntary, unselfish behavior again, where you seek the, to meet the needs of your significant other, it actually leads to more happiness than the freedom of having no obligations or responsibilities to anyone at all. All right, let me give you one last one. It's huge though, okay? This vision of total freedom that is held onto by our culture, it actually leads to despair. And here's why. Remember, it's based on the idea that there are no moral absolutes, right? Therefore, this kind of freedom is not a means to an end. It's an end in itself. See, in the past, moral absolutes were seen as a means to an end. Uh, so you were moral to be a good citizen, to have a stable society, to raise children well, or even to fulfill religious duty. The, there were lots of different ends, lots of different goals uh, for being a moral person and keeping moral rules. But if there are no moral rules anymore, then there are no goals for them. Then all you're left with is the pursuit of happiness. That's why you have freedom. You, you exercise your freedom to produce happiness, to experience happiness. But what's happiness? What makes you happy? I mean, I can tell you what made me happy when I was seven is different from what made me happy at age 17 and certainly different from what makes me happy now at age 47. See, if you make this subjective, indefinable thing called happiness your purpose, You'll always be chasing will-o'-the-wisps because what makes you happy changes over time. It's not fixed. It's not solid. You ever tried shooting a moving target? It's hard enough to shoot one that's standing still, okay? 
So freedom, it can't be the highest or only value. We have to use our freedom to do something. But our problem today is we don't want to tell people in our culture what to do because then we're curtailing their freedom. And so we're stuck. And people drift. They're confused. They don't know what's right or wrong. They don't know what to live for. They don't know what to pursue. And they end up enslaved rather than free. And you might think, wait a minute. Look, it's one thing to say that you're stuck finding a purpose for your freedom. I get that. I can see that. But, but then what you do is you just create your own purpose for your freedom. It might not be easy, but it hardly constitutes slavery. Like, let's say I decide freely to exercise my freedom to live a committed life, committed to my work, my family, my community. Yes, I am freely putting limits on myself, but I have an end. I have a goal, and that's not enslaving at all. But think this through for a minute. Bob Dylan, Bobby, Bobby Dylan, he once wrote a song called Everybody's Gotta Serve Somebody. And what he meant by that is that whatever you live for, even if you freely choose it, it becomes your master. So if you live for a committed life, well, then your family or your work or your community is your master. Modern people are in denial about this, okay? But even if you say, I'm going to live for my authentic self, no matter what, you're going to be mastered by that ideal. So let's take a trans person, for example. They're very committed to their authentic self. They're committed to this notion that their inner sense of their gender identity is not in accord with their physical, biological sex. And therefore, in order to achieve uh, their goal of happiness, their authentic self, they become a slave to that ideology. Think about what is required to undergo a gender transition. Of course, there's things like puberty blockers, right, which can have a tremendous effect on your, both your physiology and your psychology when you go on these, uh, these drugs. Hormone therapy, which can really play with your mental health in a, in a very significant way, and as well as your body, is, of course. And then eventually, potentially, some very, very invasive surgery, not to mention on top of that, all the relational stuff you know, learning how to relate and engage with family and friends and community and people who have known you one way and are being asked to know you another way, etc. Like, it's, it's, it's incredible what's required for a person to make this kind of change. So they're not simply pursuing a thing here, okay? They make incredible sacrifices for the sake of their master because they must have it. And if, you do, if they don't get it, they, they lose their purpose in life. They lose their identity. They lose their sense of self. And that's what drives them to try to accomplish the transition at all. And so this modern notion of freedom as being able to do whatever you want, it's actually an illusion. It's an illusion that actually enslaves us and leads us to despair. Let me, let me give you a, a simple illustration of this, how this works. Um, I once heard a Christian apologist tell this story. He and his brother, they grew up near a tennis court 
Uh, and for a long time, they didn't have, you know, the equipment to be able to play tennis. But finally, they got a hold of some rackets and some balls, and they decided to try their hand at it. Now, they didn't really know how to play. Um, they didn't know the rules properly, but they had watched others play so that they kind of thought they knew what to do. And so they started playing. Now, on a tennis court, there are inside lines and there are outside lines. And the outside lines are for doubles play when it's two people against two people. And the inside lines are for singles play, one against one. And they didn't know that. So they were playing singles tennis, but they were using the outside lines, the double tennis lines. And it was a disaster. (laughs) You know, they ran themselves ragged, okay, trying to get to the balls hit just inside the outside line. And they, they never made it. They couldn't get to them. And so there were very few rallies and the game was not very fun and they were super tired by the end of it until they learned the rules. And then they tried again and they played within the rules for singles tennis and it was way better. They had more rallies. They had a lot more fun. They were less tired. See, if we say that freedom is just letting people do their own thing, you know, like like the restaurant Montana's, no rules, just right. If that's freedom, it doesn't lead to human, human flourishing. It leads to enslavement and despair. Transgenderism is just the latest step toward abolishing boundaries, this time natural, physical ones, for the sake of this radical view of freedom. And a Christian response to this has to begin with acknowledging that a certain measure of individual freedom is good and right and beneficial to society, for sure. But complete freedom is an illusion. The question is not whether we should have limits to our freedom. The question is, which limits on our freedom are most beneficial for us individually and for society as a whole? And it's to that question that we're going to turn as it relates to the transgender question next time on the Clearer Thinking Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.